Hey everyone, it's producer Jake. If you're hearing this, then you are listening to a free preview of our weekly bonus interview. This is where we feature our series and lots of interesting one-off episodes. If you want to hear the full episode, go to our Substack, AmericanPrestigePod.com, and subscribe. Thanks. The war who you know uh, believe that that they didn't actually lose the war that that it was sort of stolen from them by these enemies at home and so that's how you get people like Ernst Röhm who is a friend of Hitler's he joins what is originally the German Workers Party and then becomes the National Socialist German Workers Party um, early on in its existence uh, he, and he eventually rises to become the chief of staff of the Nazi stormtroopers the SA and uh, he is a gay man um, he you know is someone who he's a man who has sex with men. Um, and it's quite clear from his writings, from his letters, that he connected these two. He connected the fact that he was a you know fascist with his sort of homoerotic sensibilities. And moreover, we know that that wasn't uncommon. Um, Friedrich Radzuweit, this man who I, I mentioned earlier, he actually conducted a poll of readers of his magazines. Um, and I think he polled about I want to say 10,000 people, I, I, but that might be a wrong number. But he pulls a huge number of people, and I believe about a third of them respond that they are members of right-wing or far-right political parties. And again, that's totally not what we think of as, as, as how queer people would vote or how they would sympathize today. But I think the important point is back then, a lot of queer men actually saw being sort of having right-wing sympathies and their attraction to other men as, as being compatible. And this goes back to sort of the masculinist movements that we were talking about in the last session. Can we talk a little bit about that and sort of the, the queer identification of masculinity and association with the extraordinary reactionary yeah. right? Because eventually uh, Hitler does turn on this, you yes. know, so it, so we, I'm sure we'll talk about that later, but just setting the stage for the connection that exists in the 1920s, but with someone like Röhm yeah. and, and, yeah, and no. later history. Yeah, absolutely. So, so basically, um, as as I think I, I at least mentioned in, in the last episode, for those who listened to it, there is sort of the the dominant aspect of the evolution of of homosexuality and, and sexuality, um, which is that sort of represented by Hirschfeld, right? Which is that this is um, being homosexual or being queer is something that is inborn. It is an essential component of someone's character, of someone's sort of character. Um, this is where we get the idea of sexual identity, and, and you have various sort of disagreements and debates among all these people. But there's this sort of general agreement, um, and this is how we still think of it today. I mean, queer queer theorists and queer scholars um, often take issue with this, but but there is this, I think, at least broadly and popularly, still this notion that this is something that is is deeply important to someone's character. You then have this other group called the masculinists. And they basically completely disagree with this. They think that everyone is basically bisexual and that sort of homoerotic bonds between men are just as important to the healthy functioning of state and society as are romantic bonds between men and women. And they basically think that Hirschfeld and people like Hirschfeld, they are medicalizing um, sort of rom romantic or affectionate bonds between men, um, and thereby they're sort of uh, turning them almost into a disease, right? They're pathologizing it. And so they reject this. They're also, I mean, it's important to note these masculinists, they tend to be um, deeply misogynistic. They don't really see much place for women outside of, you know, bearing children and being, being mothers. Um, they are also deeply racist and anti-Semitic. 
Um, one of the big reasons they reject Hirschfeld is because Hirschfeld is Jewish, and they sort of see, you know, and of course this has to do with the fact that that psychiatry um, and, and psychology are seen as sort of Jewish sciences, um, and so there's there's this sort of noxious complex of of racism and misogyny that informs these views, and that carries on into the Weimar period. That's how you get people like Rohm who are able to essentially see their attachment f- to other men not as a source of weakness, but as a source of sort of virility, right? They see this as being more masculine than sort of straight people. I'm sure they make connections to things like the Sacred Band of Thebes, too, and this anti- uh, neo-antiquity-type uh, anti- ideology. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, they they definitely draw on all sorts of themes from antiquity, right? I mean, the Greeks and the Romans are, are incredibly important sort of inspirations for them. You have a lot of writing about, you know, Alexander the Great and um, Hadrian and, you know, these these sort of figures from antiquity who were known to have male lovers, and but were, again— it wasn't seen as a weakness, but rather as a source of sort of strength and virility that that people like Rome. Could-